Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And also talk about relationship skills. We use our bodies to show that we love people. Like I give you a hug and that shows I love you. Um, You give grandma a kiss on her cheek and that shows you love grandma. We use our bodies Mm -hmm. and explain, you know, as you grow up, you'll use your body in in more and more ways to show love. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctorate in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. Hello, Dr. Julie Hanks. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's so great to see you. Uh, As I was telling you before we started hitting the record button, I just celebrated my first year anniversary of my podcast. And you're my first guest that is going to be on video. So I'm so excited to jump into this um, aspect of the platform and see where it goes. But it's nice to actually see someone's face while I'm recording because I haven't had that before. <laughs> I It's nice to see who you're talking to. So it is. Yeah, and it's great to be here. And uh, I'm excited about this topic. I think it's really important. It is. It is. And, you know, it's a hard topic, I think, because I think it scares a lot of parents. I think a lot of parents don't know what to do with it, especially if they see that their child is um, maybe more sexualized or even at a younger age than they they expect. I think for me, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and my eight-year-old is already hearing things at school and coming home with lots of questions. Mm. And of course, as a parent, you want to be the first one to tell your child and talk to your child about certain things, especially when it comes to, um, you know, sex and sexuality. But yet she's already hearing things at school. She's already been exposed to some things on the internet. And so it's, it's hard as a parent to navigate when you should start telling your kids about those types of things. Yeah. Um, Because you want to hear it from someone else first. You want to hear it from you. So from your experience, you know, what is a good age for a parent to start talking to their kids about sex and sexuality? I think the conversation begins at birth by how you interact with their, with your child's uh, genitalia. Like, do you go, ew, gross, you know, or do you say, don't, don't touch, don't touch, you know, depending on how, so you're giving messages about, about bodies and sexuality from the moment that they're born. Right. So in your experience, what sexual behaviors are typical for young children? It really depends on the age, uh, but it's for re- very young children, it's normal to explore uh, their vagina, their vulva, their penis, their scrotum. Like it, and it's important to use accurate words to, to right. describe their parts, right? So um, 
the, you know, they, they will touch, they'll kind of show, and it's not, it's curiosity. It's not necessarily like they're being sexual, right? Like it's right. just more curiosity. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's very normal for little kids and big kids to, to touch themselves and self-stimulate. And it doesn't mean something's wrong. Right. And I think that's the part that does scare a lot of parents is if they walk mm -hmm. into the room and they see something happening and they think, oh no, have they been exposed to something or have they mm -hmm. been touched by someone else? You know, what's going on? And mm -hmm. it is very developmentally normal or common, like you said, to even in, in preschool. Uh, I've worked yeah. in so many schools over the years and my, my sweet spot in, in private practice is zero to five. So mm. I get a lot of these questions from parents saying, you know, my my child, I caught them the other day in their room and they were humping their teddy bear. <laughs> is that normal? Right? And You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it can be problematic if like that's the only thing they want to do all day, if they're not interacting socially with other Children, if they're, you know, there are times when that can be problematic, right? If it's impacting their functioning, then that's not normal. But if it's, if it's this occasional behavior that, um, that happens and it's not impacting anything else other than the parent's comfort level, right. <laughs> then, exactly. then you don't need to be concerned. Exactly. And, you know, and then jumping a little bit ahead to some older children, uh, mm -hmm. I just had a, a client recently, a, a parent came to me and said that they were a little worried about their child's behavior. They're in elementary school and they were showing their friends of the same gender, the same identified mm -hmm. gender. They were showing their friends their private parts and, mm -hmm. had to be, you know, two, two girls or two girls who identify as as, as female and they were mm -hmm. showing their, their private parts in the school bathroom. And they, one of the, one of the girls had told her parents and the, the mom was a little worried about it thinking, oh my goodness, like she's at school. What if she gets suspended? She's showing her private parts to this other girl and this other student. And it became a big concern. So yeah, is that type of behavior normal for elementary school students as well? In your opinion, is that something that's pretty typical? Yes, that's pretty typical. And this is an opportunity to teach private behavior and public behavior and you know that certain areas of your body are not to be shared with anybody <laughs> yeah you know that so kind of learning those boundaries around uh around their bodies and also it's important for for parents to watch out for age inappropriate language that they're using so just to say oh i'll show you mine if you show me yours you know that but if they're using adult or, you know, later teenage sexual language, and they're doing it in a, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but, but in a sexual way, right, instead right. of just exploring, then for, for young elementary school, you, you might think, okay, have they been exposed to something that is not appropriate? Or, so you want to watch for age inappropriate language. And what's their intent is, are they just curious? Or are they acting out a sexual behavior that they have seen or someone has done to them? And so that's really the question that you want to ask at that point. Right, exactly. And in the research that I've done, too, is, you know, not just the language they're using, but if they're wanting to perform a sexual act that is more adult-like, um, mm -hmm. self-stimulating, not in private, but also, like you said, in, in public 
or mm-hmm. um, or doing it with with people that aren't the same age peers as them. Let's say they're right. exploring with a middle schooler and they're elementary school age or, or whatnot. Is that something that mm-hmm. you agree in, in your research too in your practice? Totally agree with that. Yeah, the age if if they're are they peers? If they're not peers, then that's something to look into. If if they're doing that with a child who's a lot younger or a child who's a lot older, um, you know, within a year or so. Because developmentally, I mean, there's a big difference between a 10-year-old and a six-year-old. Absolutely. <laughs> and and so as long as so we're looking for the power, the power dynamics. Is one person in a one-up position or are they in an equal power structure? Right, exactly. So I'm glad we mentioned that, you know, early on of, of some of the warning signs, some of the things mm-hmm. to look out for, because we're, we're going to talk you know, a little bit more about what is more typical. Um, so we can put some ease in some parents' hearts of knowing, okay, it's going to be okay, right? <laughs> right, um, right. But I also want to mention the warning signs too. So they do know that if there is a problem or if they haven't exposed, again, with the world we live in with technology, access to iPads, you know, at kindergarten, uh, if not sooner, um, as far as having an open internet, YouTube, all sorts of things. I mean, there's a lot out there that they could even accidentally stumble upon. They could put in the word love because they just watched a Disney movie on, you know, True Love's Kiss or something and then see mm-hmm. something completely different that they were expecting and maybe something that you can't unsee once it's seen, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so there, I want to bring up a quote that you had um, mentioned uh, in, I think, your Instagram account recently. Uh, And the quote is, it's time to stop pretending that our children are not sexual beings that will magically become sexual once they get married. And I love that. And it goes back a little bit of what you were saying earlier about how it starts at birth, right? And and talking Mm -hmm. to kids about sexuality and and using the right terminology um, for their, their, their body parts and so forth. But why does childhood sexuality scare parents so much? And how does a parent become more comfortable with the idea that their child is a sexual being? Yeah, I believe a lot of parents are modeling what their parents felt and said and did to them. So I think we're just, you know, all we know is what we've experienced unless we are actively trying to educate ourselves. And so um, older generations tended, sexuality tended to be off the table, right? Um, you know, in the 50s, 60s, you, uh, or 50s, you couldn't show people sleeping in the same bed, or you couldn't show a pregnant woman because, oh my gosh, that meant they had sex, you know? Right, right. And so if you grow up in an era where where that's um, that's not accepted as normal behavior for adults, it adults are uncomfortable with their own sexuality, which means they're going to be uncomfortable with their kids. And a lot of parents had had were parented by parents who were not comfortable talking about sexual topics. And so, you know, I think we're at a disadvantage as parents now because a lot of us didn't have a good model of how to talk about sexuality in our families from our own parents. Exactly. So let's talk about that a little bit of how, as a parent, um, a mom myself, how do I model that for my kids or anyone who's listening to this podcast right now? What advice do you have that parents can can lean on to to know how they can model it for their own children? Yeah. Start the conversation at birth about bodies, about um, their genitals, about periods if your if your child walks in and was like oh my gosh you're bleeding mom and you're like oh no every it's just once you become a little bit older 
women's bodies bleed once a month and it does it there's nothing wrong it means i'm not growing a baby and you just make it normal conversation so bodies and and reproductive organs and processes are just normal also it's important to talk about relationships uh consent that it's not okay for someone to touch your body without your permission and vice versa and also talk about relationship skills we use our bodies to show that we love people like i give you a hug and that shows i love you um you give grandma a kiss on her cheek and that shows you love grandma we use our bodies mm -hmm. and explain you know as you grow up you'll use your body in a in more and more ways to show love and connection with people and so having that ongoing conversation that ties it to relationship instead of just this separate like sexual thing over here that it's part of life it's part of relationships and it's part of showing uh that you love someone and so sh teaching sexuality in the context of healthy relationship and relationship skills i think is really really crucial yes i i definitely agree now my only being devil's advocate here for a minute yeah. my only question would be when do we know as parents when our children are developmentally ready uh for that type of conversation so let's say mm -hmm. you know the four-year-old five-year-old you know child walks in sees their mom you know having their period or you know seeing signs of that and then the mom tries to normalize it and you know says what it's about and yeah. then the, the child for lack of a better word freaks out because they're like oh my gosh i don't want to bleed i don't want to and then they start I've seen that happen to, or at least mm -hmm. heard that have happened to a few families. So yeah. is there, is there a caution in that of knowing when a child might be too young developmentally to conceptualize, let's say something like having a period? Yeah. I think if they, if they're asking you about it, like, are you okay, mom, that it's important to address it. So if they've noticed something, it's important to address it. And you want to use age appropriate language, right? You're not going to go into the whole, like, you know, with a four year old, like, oh, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes mommy bleeds, and it just means I'm not growing a baby. And, and, you know, we're not ready to have another baby, and you could be done. You know? right. <laughs> and, and so, with a little bit older, with you know an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, where they potentially could be having a period. I mean, I know lots of eight, nine, ten-year-olds who are menstruating, and so you don't want that to sneak up on them and have them think that they're dying because they're, right. they're menstruating, right? So, so as as the child matures, you're going to kind of re work the conversation that in a way that is appropriate for them. And a, a good rule of thumb is their their own curiosity. What questions are they asking? Right? What, you know, what have they heard about at school? What? And and having that open dialogue from the time they're really little. So it's not like this awkward, okay, you're 10. Now we're going to sit down and talk about Sex, or we're going to talk, you know, the birds and the bees, and and um, so it, it's an unfolding conversation. I think that's the goal, where it's not. I mean, of course, you'll have awkward moments, right? But but where it's not this like one time event where you sit down and talk about sex and then it's over. It's like right. it's this ongoing conversation from birth until you know 
till they're adults. Yes. And and having that openness, I think, is so key, especially with what you said, uh, Dr. Kim, is that kids are exposed through technology to so many things and you want your child to come to you so you can give it a context or say, you know, that's really, that's fantasy, that's not real, or, you know, kind of explain what they've seen so they have more context. Exactly. And I love that question is even like a starter question for parents of saying, what do you already know about it when they come with mm-hmm. you? Questions. So you kind of know what the foundation is, where your starting point is and where you can start from there. Because if you just start with this, oh, mom, I already know that. Or, you know, they may, that's, I already know all that stuff. Let's, I want to know about this. So if yeah. you get that starter question, what do you already know? It kind of helps mm-hmm. you as the parent know exactly where to start from in yeah. that conversation. Yeah. And another great uh, thing to do is have books available that are appropriate for their age where they can go and read it once they read, right? Uh, or or I, I had a picture book that had talked about bodies, all different body parts, and it showed anatomically correct people and and so if you're curious here, you can look at this book. You can see, you know, right. or if they're 10, you're going to have a, a little more advanced or if they're 12 and 16. So having literature available that that is age appropriate, you don't want, you know, the six-year-old to be reading something you, you'd have a 16-year-old read. But so kind of having available just a little bit ahead of where they are so they can, um, because sometimes they're not going to come to you, but they're going to be curious and you want to have good resources available in your home. Exactly. I like that. I love that tip. Um, We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back. I have a few more questions. Great. Okay. So we talked a little bit about what's normal or what's typical in children's sexualized behavior, maybe some warning signs, you know, mm-hmm. open up being, opening up the conversation of how to talk to our kids about sexuality. And so now I want to talk to you a little bit about shame, because mm. I know a lot of times shame comes with sexuality. And I think because parents get anxious about it or parents get uncomfortable about it, as you had mentioned earlier about maybe the way they were raised and how sexuality was, um, talked about in their home growing up. But I just want to put something out there and get your, you know, professional expertise on that too, of when they do catch their child humping their stuffed animal in their room, or they do catch mm-hmm. their child uh, doing something else that's, you know, sexual behavior, that they don't shame them for mm-hmm. for that. And so I just wanted you to expand on that and, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of shed some light on that too. Yeah, the most important thing parents can do is work on their own sexual shame. So when it's when it comes up, when that fear, it usually comes from fear, right? Parents respond sometimes when they're scared, it comes out as anger. And so recognizing and having some uh, mindfulness about your own responses and doing your own work about resolving your own shame is really a gift to your kids. So doing your own work. Uh, and that may be looking in the mirror and having a pretend conversation about really hard sexual things with your child in your mind and, and kind of getting more comfortable with that or, or role-playing with your partner or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think it's important for us to have done our own work 
If we don't, then it will spill over onto our kids, unfortunately. And that happens in all areas of life, right? As you know. Yeah. yeah, so I think doing your own work, um, really slowing down your emotions when you feel a reaction. So when you feel a strong reaction, slow it down and get curious before you respond or react. Right? If you okay. need to, to close the door and go out of the room and take a few deep breaths, like, okay, what's what's happening for me right now? oh, I'm scared that something's wrong with my child or I'm scared they've been abused or I'm scared. Okay, what, and then, you know, talking yourself through that. What is the best course of action right now? Do I need to really be scared? Do, you know, yes. do I need to get it online and Google, you know, uh, a therapist's blog about what's normal sexual, sexually before I respond? So kind of, it's more about us than about what the child's doing or saying. Yes, I I 100% agree. And I like starting with our own sexual shame first before, because it does bleed over. I just Mm -hmm. 100% agree with that. I just wanted to reiterate that. Is there ever a time when we should protect our kids from sexual content that we don't want them to see yet? Or maybe we don't feel like they're ready to cognitively conceptualize yet? Is, is there ever a time where we do need to kind of shield them from certain things? I'm, gonna say, I'm just gonna say R-rated movies or, you know, that's just a random yeah. example. But what, when, when is that appropriate to shield them from some sexual behaviors that we know that developmentally they're just not ready for? I think that is our job at all, you know, until they're an adult, right? In my home, Uh, we have a rule of no unrestricted internet access until you're 18. Okay. You just, you, there's passwords, there are blocks, there are, you know, so it's our job to do everything we can to help them have sexual uh, information when it's appropriate and to be able to process that information in a, in a way that makes sense to them and isn't scary or isn't, um, damaging somehow. So I think that is that is a huge job of modern parenting is shielding our child from uh, age inappropriate sexual images and information. So I'm I think that's so important, uh, right. and it's it's a hard thing to do because you know friends will oh look at this you know so you you can only exactly. do so much, um, but I. I think it's important to encourage kids to say, you know, if you see something that's confusing or that just doesn't feel right, or that has to do with people's, you know, private areas, or you can come and talk to me and we can, I'll help you with that. Uh, Because sometimes if you see something and you're, it's scary or you don't know what's going on, it's important to talk about it. So it doesn't just kind of, sit inside of you and, and make you feel bad. Exactly. Keeping those lines of communication are so important, right? To Mm -hmm. just letting them know that you're there, uh, you know, whether they, and just knowing that they can trust you. uh, Yeah. And you're not going to freak out. You're not going to be like, Oh my gosh, you saw, you saw some erotic, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, And it's just like, okay, this is, 
going to happen. It's so it's how are you going to deal with it? And our kids are likely going to be exposed before we think they're ready. And yes. so knowing how to calm ourselves down again and how to respond like, okay, yeah. So what did, what did you see? What, what did you think about that? How did you feel? Mm-hmm. Can I share, you know, can I share what was happening and why and whatever, you know, right. and having, and not, not reacting. I think that's the, the key. Yes, I agree. And and it's true because I, as I mentioned, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and my five-year-old's mm-hmm. still not quite there yet. You know, he's, he's kind of still doing his own thing and hasn't, you know, gotten to some of these conversations yet. But my eight-year-old, and I was talking to a few of mom friends that also have kids at the same age the other day. And we were all just agreeing that we didn't think we'd have to have the conversations we're having with our eight-year-olds. We thought it might be maybe 10, 11, 12 but we're having those conversations that we thought we would have at that age with mm-hmm. our eight-year-olds and they're only in second grade. And it's, it's shocking to me. And I know this is kind of the world we live in and, you know, we're just evolving and we're a lot different than we were when I was a kid and maybe what I was exposed to, obviously, but it's just, we are having those conversations earlier. And so being mm-hmm. preventative and like you said, starting at birth, you know, having those, that open conversation, having those opportunities to share without shaming and without making it sound dirty. I know you talk a lot about the mm-hmm. purpose of sex and really teaching the kids what the purpose of sex is. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's just really important, you know, to, to know and, and know that it will it will shock us and it will happen yeah. earlier than, than, than we want. Than we want. Exactly. Yeah. So my last question is what, how should a parent respond to their child who has sexual thoughts? What would be the first thing that they might say? I mean, should they validate them? Should they say, thanks for coming to me and trusting me with this information? Where do you think they should start to open up? I know we talked a little bit about that, but do you have any other yeah. things to add to that? Yeah. Do you have a specific example, like an age or a or a conversation or something that a child might bring up that, um, that I would might say be helpful? elementary school? I, I think okay. that's just most of my clients are in that age group, and most of yeah. my, you know child's own friends are in that age group, and I think there's just a lot of questions are are coming mm-hmm. up uh, about puberty, just about things that their friends are showing them, um, you know, yeah. on their phones and all sorts of things. So. There's just yeah. questions after questions that I feel like there's a lot and they're, they're coming at full pace. <laughs> right. And right. I, um, I just want parents to know, like you said, they may need to take a moment and step away to mm-hmm. handle their own anxiety or fear or confusion about it. And then when they come back to their child, what, what should be the first thing that comes out of their mouth or, you know, how should they respond, respond to that? Yeah. So not react, right. Keep yourself calm. Like you said, I would ask, like, what did you, you know, what did you see? What do you think about that? How, how do you feel about that? What questions do you have for me? So those are kind of four questions you could ask. And then the most important thing is to normalize. Like, oh, it's so normal to be curious and to, and to go like, what's going on? Or it's normal to be curious about bodies and what they can do. So there's nothing wrong with you for being interested or for looking at it or, you know, whatever the interaction is or for listening to the story or like, that's normal to be curious. Right. And, and yeah, so just normalizing the, the curiosity and, um, allowing them to, to share what it was like for them without 
shame or overreaction on the parent's part. Exactly. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I passed the test. <laughs> that was the answer I was looking for. No, I just, I just think that's important. I think, like you said, normalizing the curiosity was really what I was trying to hit home with of, you know, because if a child thinks, oh, my parents might get mad at me if I ask this, or if they found out I saw this or did this, then they're going to shut down and they're not going to come to you mm-hmm. if we overreact. Right. Or if we do shame them. So having that opportunity to build that trust and build that communication and keep those lines open, I think, is is really the best way to to handle something like this. uh, It'll just help the child feel much more comfortable coming forward, knowing, okay, they may not be happy about it, but we're going to get through it together. Yeah. Yeah. Can I share some what not to say? Yes, please. Oh, I love that. What not to say is. That's bad. You shouldn't be looking at that. Who showed you that? Like any response that is in anger is going to trigger shame and they'll shut down and they won't come to you. So, so, you know, or you're bad or that's bad. They don't, you don't want to be sending the message that bodies and sexuality are bad. Like that's going to create a whole different can of worms, right? Right. So those are some what not to say, how not to react. Exactly. I thought another one, um, I can't believe you did that. Or (laughs) I'm so disappointed in you. Yes. You know better than that. Yes. That's not that's not what our family thinks is appropriate. I mean, there, we could go on and on, right? There's so many so many shaming responses. Exactly. Um, but how can we also prevent our children from maybe not repeating some of those behaviors? Like the example I gave you earlier, you know, of the two, the two peers showing each other their private parts to each other. You know, it's, it's, it's typical behavior for that age. It's, you know, it's normal, it's curiosity, mm-hmm. but do we want them to continue doing that all the time? Mm-hmm. How do we teach our kids yeah. that? So normalize and set, teach boundaries. They're going to teach boundaries, right? So you know what? It's normal to be curious, but here's a book you can look at. It's not okay to to be looking, you know, in the bathroom at someone else's private areas. That's private, right? That's that's why they're called private parts because they're not just to show everybody. And so, setting those boundaries, like if you're curious, come to me. I'll get you this book, or I'll we'll get an anatomically correct doll, or so you want to. Validate and then redirect with with appropriate boundaries. Yes, I love that. Dr. Hanks, where can people find you? I know you have a couple books if you want to mention those. And where can they yeah. find you online? I know you have your own practice and you're you're on Instagram. So if you would share a little bit about that, I would love to share it with my audience. Sure, sure. I've written uh, two bur- books. Books. I've written two books. Uh, the Assertiveness Guide for Women and The Burnout Cure. So those are on Amazon or wherever you get books. And uh, my website is drjuliehanks.com or my practice is wasatchfamilytherapy.com and my practice is located in Utah. Uh, We also have therapists who are licensed in some other surrounding states. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on social media, particularly Instagram at drjuliehanks, that's drjuliehanks. 
Love it. Well, I hope they reach out to you. I hope they, they start following you because I love all of the advice that you give. And I'm going to have to have you back to talk about some of the things you talk about in your books. And, sure. You know, we talked about on kids this time, but I'd love to focus on moms and, and women and in, in, in a different episode. I would absolutely love that. That's great. Just let me know when I'll come back. This has right. been delightful. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.